Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time it is, wherever you are tuning in. Thank you so much for joining me today for such sweet thunder meditation program. And in this episode, I will be offering a Dharma talk on the topic of insight meditation practice. Now, before we jump into pieces of insight, I'd like to announce, uh, re-announce, uh, that I am offering an online meditation retreat. Uh, in this retreat, we will be going systematically through the stages of the Such Sweet Thunder practice, uh, which I have been presenting here on Facebook Live for the past couple of months. Uh, we'll start with the breath and the body, mindfulness of the breath, mindfulness of the body, uh, healing the wound between psyche and soma mind and body. Uh, so the subtitle of the retreat is Healing the Wounds Between Self and Other. So we start with that wound or that gap. Uh, then we bring in the experience of sound to the meditation, uh, healing the wound between inside and outside. Uh, spiritual teachers and contemplatives uh, consider that uh, boundary between internal and external to be an illusion. So we'll look at that illusion, allowing that illusion to dissolve. And then uh, we will round out the retreat with a week of loving kindness practice. So this retreat kicks off on October 17th and it runs to November 14th. It does run for five weeks. Uh, we'll meet every Saturday and Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. Pacific Coast time of the United States. So adjust your uh, time accordingly uh, wherever you are in the world. Uh, each session will be 90 minutes Zoom. I'm choosing that platform so that I can interact with people face-to-face. -face. Uh, there'll be a lot of time for Q&A, a lot of discussion sessions, as well as guided meditations. So the retreat is really a way for us to get much, much deeper and much uh, into finer detail uh, that I'm able to offer over Facebook Live. So it's a great opportunity to really deepen your meditation practice, or if you're new to meditation, a great way to learn a very thorough and complete uh, meditation practice that you can keep with you for the rest of your life. Uh, so I highly recommend signing up. Uh, this is offered in conjunction with Contemplative Light. Uh, so you can sign up either on my website, www.suchsweetthunder.org, or you can sign up on the Contemplative Light website, which is contemplativelight.com. So I think that's what I want to say about that. And Without further ado, I'm going to jump into my offering today on insight meditation practice. Now, the reason why I'm offering this talk today is it is the last stage or the closing stage of the Such Sweet Thunder meditation practice. So if you've been following along, great. If not, don't worry. You can enjoy this episode. And then if you wish, if your curiosity is piqued, uh, you can go back through the previous episodes. They're all available here on Facebook. They're available on my website, on my YouTube channel, and on Instagram as well. Okay, so 
we've been practicing this type of mindfulness practice that I call such sweet thunder. And we start with mindfulness of the breath and the body. We do some very thorough body scanning practices. Then we included the sounds of the present moment, the visual field opening our eyes if we're meditating with the eyes closed. Uh, then we turn and embrace what's happening with our feelings and emotions. It might be a pleasant feeling or perhaps some discomfort that's there. Doesn't matter whether it's pleasant or unpleasant. We turn and acknowledge uh, what's arising in the present moment emotionally. Then we practiced opening our heart to that entire field of experience, opening our heart to the present moment, and a radical embrace of the present moment. And while doing all of that, we practice resting, resting into the present moment experience, whatever is arising in the present moment. And if something takes us out of the resting, if there's a distracting thought, for example, or some kind of ache or pain in the body, maybe the foot's falling asleep, there's a soreness somewhere in the body, perhaps the shoulder or the knee, or maybe something in the visual field grabs your attention maybe for a moment. Here in Thailand, we get lots of geckos in the house, so maybe a gecko runs over the wall. My visual attention collapses down on that. The, the task there is to ask the question, can I rest with this? And generally that question can bring you back to the present moment, kind of reinstate the experience of resting, if you will. And you can try this in your everyday experience. Maybe you're waiting in line at the grocery store and you know they're practicing social distancing and people are wearing their masks and so the line is moving quite slowly, things are, you know, you have to practice some patience. Maybe you get a little bit impatient. Perfect. How can I rest with this? Then perhaps your body starts to soften. The tension from the impatience starts to resolve. You come back to the state of resting like that. So the reason why we go through the stages of this practice, embracing and resting in more and more of the present moment, is that resting and embracing gives us the stability for insight practice. So we practice resting very deeply. We rest in the present moment and look at the mind. We rest in the body, we rest with the sounds and the silence, we rest with the visual field, we rest with any emotions, and we embrace all of that. And in that resting embrace, we look at the mind. This is done by generally posing a question into the meditation practice. Uh, and these are known as insight questions or pointer questions. They take many different forms. But the idea is that the questions are designed to allow us to look very deeply into the nature of our own mind. Now, 
I should clarify, when I use the word mind here, I'm not talking about the organ of the brain. I'm using the word mind as synonymous with awareness. So mind, awareness, same thing. That needs to be uh, known for this practice because sometimes the questions use those words interchangeably. For, so for example, the insight question, uh, who is having this experience? You could say, where is awareness? Or what is awareness? These are all different pointer questions or insight questions. My favorite currently is, what is the relationship between experience and awareness. Beautiful. Now, I've gotten a little bit ahead of myself, so I want to come back to the beginning and, and uh, give a little bit more of a talk here. So, way back in about, I guess it would have been the, I don't know, second century, first century AD, uh, I guess around the first to the second century, that turning uh, from first to second century AD. Uh, Bodhidharma, the great uh, Zen master, actually he's known as the founding father of Zen, or the uh, monk who brought Buddhism from India to China and allowed Zen uh, to take root, Bodhidharma. Now there are many, many great and galloping stories of Bodhidharma. He was known to be quite a personality. I'm not going to go into all of those stories today. That's a different presentation for another time. But Bodhidharma was known to have meditated in a cave uh, in the northern part of China for uh, nine years he spent meditating against the cave wall. And Bodhidharma was already known for being quite a, a powerful teacher and a, and a very brilliant uh, 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 teacher and a brilliant monk. He had a very uh, strong command of, of Buddhist teaching and thought and ideology. Yet here he is meditating in the Sola retreat in this cave, in this cave against the cave wall there. And so students would come and try to uh, meet with Bodhidharma, try to coax him out of the cave to, so that they can converse with him. And there was one student in who was quite uh, 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 persistent, shall we say. And so he would go up to the cave and, you know, Bodhidharma, come out of the cave. I need to pacify my mind. I need, to, I need help pacifying my mind. I can't find any peace in my mind. And Bodhidharma was remaining silent. So this went on for days and weeks. And finally, Bodhidharma said to the student, whose name was Wei Ko, he said to Wei Ko, uh, go and bring me your mind and I will pacify it for you. And so Wei Ko went away and he went and meditated on this for quite some time, years perhaps. And he returned to Bodhidharma at the cave there. And he said, Bodhidharma, I can't find this mind, which disturbs me so much. 
And Bodhidharma said, there, I've pacified it for you. And so that's the type of experience that is often elicited through a practice of insight. We look into the mind itself. We rest in the present moment and we look at the mind. And when we look, we don't see anything. And you can try this now as you're listening to me and looking at me on the screen, perhaps. Ask yourself, who is listening? Who is looking? Who is having this experience right now? Can you find the one who's having this experience? Can you find awareness itself? Now the mind might start to think, oh, well, of course, it's me. I'm having this experience. Very common answer to this type of questioning. So then look, well, who's having that experience? If you think you feel the experiencer, or you think you feel awareness, then who's aware of that awareness? Who is experiencing the experience of the experiencer? And so this is why the resting is so important, because you may have noticed the mind just goes looking for the answers to these questions. That's why at the beginning of the talk I mentioned that the questions aren't meant to be answered. The questions are meant to serve as a guide, to, to guide your awareness into looking looking at mind or looking at awareness itself. So this is why we practice resting with the breath, resting with the body, resting with the sounds and so forth through, through the stages of the practice. Because that resting, deep sense of resting, gives us the stability to look at nothing itself. So just like Bodhidharma's student, Wei Ko, we might come to see that mind or awareness is no thing. There's no thing there. It's just awareness. It's just pure, open, spacious awareness. There's nothing to see, but you can look and see nothing. Now that can be pretty disorienting sometimes, or even frightening. Because we're so, look at, so used to, to looking at an object. Here we're practicing awareness free from any object. We're just practicing being aware. Aware of nothing in particular, but everything in general.
So we're resting in the present moment experience and then we pose this question. Let's use the question for this presentation. Uh, who is having this experience? So you pose this question, who is having this experience? Any sensation that arises is just another part of that experience. Who is having that experience? Any thought that arises is just another part of the experience. Who is having these thoughts? Oftentimes when I teach this practice to students, they report back to me, oh, I have this amazing, blissful visualization. I was walking through the clouds, floating, and energy was coursing through my body. And one might think that that's enlightenment because it's so blissful. It's ecstatic and so foreign, so exotic, if you will. That's just another experience. Who's having that experience? So you see any and all experience is just another experience. Awareness or mind or the one who's having this experience is above and beyond all of that. It's the one who's having this experience is beyond definition. It's beyond concept. It's beyond sensation. And so if you are meditating in this way and you pose this question, who's having this experience? And then an answer comes up. That's another concept. That's another experience. You're the one who's having that experience. You're the one who's created that concept. So the danger there is we put ourselves into that box. Say, oh, that's me. That's, that's what I am. I am, and it can be this amazing concept. I am this, I am this radiant God or goddess of love and light and flowing compassion all over the world. That's beautiful. But that too is just another experience. So that's not it. So we keep coming back to that point. Whatever arises in the meditation, we keep coming back. Who is having this experience? Now this can be quite frustrating sometimes. It'll feel like a dog chasing a tail, so to speak. You're just going around and around. Experience arises, you recognize not looking at nothing. You recognize you're looking at a concept or you're enjoying a particular experience or you're pushing against a particular experience. 
who's having that experience, and around and around you go. Now, it might feel at that point that you're doing the practice wrong or incorrectly. That's not true. That's really actually quite a typical experience for this practice. Each time your mind creates an answer to the question, or each time you get distracted by a concept, or each time you get distracted by any thought or experience, then you recognize that distraction, you come back to the question of insight, or you come back to resting in the present moment. Again, just like all of the other stages of the practice, you're using that distraction in return to strengthen the muscle of awareness and attention. So you're resting in the present moment. You, Who's having this experience? You rest and you look, nothing there, and all of a sudden a thought arises. Well, of course, I'm having this experience. I don't know what he's talking about. This is quite silly. Why am I doing this meditation? But I don't understand what's happening. Oh, I'm distracted. You let that go, you come back to the present moment. Each time you do that, you're getting incrementally stronger with your awareness, with your attention, with your ability to rest in the present moment. So each time you get distracted and you return, you're getting stronger. It's like you're lifting weights in the gym, getting stronger with your awareness, stronger with the ability to rest. Now eventually, that experience of running around and around, looking, 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 that wind down. The reason why it starts to wind down is we're getting stronger with our attention, with our awareness. So you see, that practice is designed to do that. It's designed to allow us to cultivate that strength in awareness and attention so that then we can look into our mind and see that there's nothing there. So when I often present this, uh, I get this uh, resistance, if you will, uh, to this practice. People think, uh, oh, I don't exist at all. If I look, look and I don't see anything, if I, who's having this experience? And there's nothing there. That means I, 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 I'm not real, I don't exist. <laughs> and this type of existential fear arises, which is actually quite normal. But it's not that we don't exist. Of course, I'm here, sitting in front of these devices, giving a talk, uh, and hopefully you are there listening. <laughs> uh, so of course we exist. It's just that we've learned to experience existence in a kind of a distorted way. As human beings, we've learned to experience ourself, our existence, as kind of a solid, fixed being, an I, a solid, permanent, necessary I. Probably behind the eyes somewhere, or maybe here in the heart area, we feel that we are there taking up residence inside this capsule of flesh, blood, and bones. 
But what this practice is allowing us to see and experience is that is actually an illusion. That we do exist, but we're not a solid, fixed entity. I mean, if, there, if we were, then we would find, like, we could do surgery and cut our chest open and find, oh, there I am. Cut our chest open and there's nothing there. It's just flesh, blood and bones, organs. Or we could, you know, cut our head open and look inside the brain. There's nothing there but brain. I'm not there. And so that's what these practices, these teachings are, are directing us to. We don't need a scalpel, fortunately. <laughs> we just need a heightened sense of awareness and attention. And we turn and look inside. We say, oh, I'm not this solid fixed entity because where am I? But it's more... I guess it's more accurate to say that we are an ever-changing combination of processes. Rather than being a solid fixed entity, like a noun, we're a set of ever-changing processes, like a verb. Constantly evolving, constantly changing, constantly growing constantly in response to the present moment. And this was, I'm going to talk about the Buddha here for a moment, although I'm not uh, coming from any particular religious background. I'm completely secular when I offer these teachings. But the Buddha was one of the first teachers to have this type of insight, where he saw that this solid fixed entity isn't actually an accurate way of experiencing ourself. And the reason why that's so important is that once that starts to break down, once we have enough insight to see that we are this ever-changing experience rather than a solid fixed I, then we stop objectifying others. We recognize that all other beings, well, they too are in this constant state of change, of constant state of evolution. And so our relationship to ourself changes dramatically, and as a result of that change, our relationship to others changes dramatically. We stop experiencing the world as me and he, in this skin-encapsulated uh, ego-type experience, we stop experiencing that looking out at a world of others out there. It just becomes one experience of us. Now, the Buddha wasn't the first one to point out these types of mis, uh, mis-experiences or illusions, if you will. In fact, if you look in the scientific world, this has been happening uh, uh, in you know, throughout history. Uh, my favorite example is Copernicus, the Greek philosopher who looked and looked and looked up in the sky with his telescope and with his devices. 
until he finally realized <clears throat> that the Earth wasn't the center of the universe or the solar system. <clears throat> Copernicus discovered and then taught others to see that the Earth was actually the third planet to the Sun. Before Copernicus, uh, everyone believed that the Earth was the center and everything revolved around the Earth. All of the celestial bodies revolved around the Earth. And indeed, that's how we experience it, right? We, we watch the sun setting and we, it, it actually looks to our nervous system, to the human nervous system, it looks like the sun is rotating around the Earth. But now we know that actually the Earth is rotating around the sun. But if we trust our, our human nervous system, if we trust our senses, without looking through those telescopes, without that insight, we would still think the Earth was the center of the solar system. Very similar to this technique of insight. Our, our nervous system tells us that we are a separate entity that we are a, a solid fixed I, an ego, looking out at a world of solid fixed beings. And this gives us our struggle. So much suffering is created by that illusion. So much war, so much slavery. The, 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 the illnesses that, that are created as a result of that illusion are incalculable. And that's why it's really important that we start to break that illusion down. Now, once upon a time, the illusion, as I keep referring to it as, this, this concept of being an, e, an, an ego in here, this I, looking out at a world of egos out there, others, the reason for that is that that's how we survived, the Darwinian struggle. We needed that feeling to, to, so that we would protect ourselves against uh, other cave people, other uh, threats, our environment, lions, tigers. Back, you know, in prehistoric time, uh, that was a defense mechanism that allowed us to survive as a species. But now that experience of I versus other is a horribly, horribly outdated worldview. So I'm inviting you all to come. Take a ride inside of your mind. Take a look and see. Much in the same way that Copernicus was looking through his telescope. There's no way you can know what you're going to find. Because any, any preconceived notion of what this looking will bring is just another concept. And again, you might find that. You might find that concept. But that's just another experience. Who is having that experience?
And so again, the, the subtitle of the retreat and the book, where these practices are coming from, uh, such sweet thunder, well, these practices come from ancient times, but uh, the way I'm delivering them is through the book that I've written, uh, Such Sweet Thunder, Healing the Wounds Between Self and Other. And so here, as I, know, as I mentioned at the beginning of the presentation, is the pinnacle of this practice. This is the final healing, where we heal the illusion of being a separate entity thus healing the wounds between ourself and all others. So I will be back on Monday morning in Asia, which is Sunday evening in America, so do adjust your clocks accordingly. It'll be the same time, but on either Sunday or Monday, wherever you are tuning in. Uh, I'll be guiding an insight meditation practice, and I'll do maybe two weeks of insight meditation practice because there are several different approaches. Uh, so we'll be doing um, Monday mornings and Friday mornings or Sunday evenings and Thursday evenings uh, in, the, in the U.S., wherever you are. Uh, we'll do four episodes on uh, different approaches to uh, this type of insight meditation practice. Now, for more information on this type of meditation, if you uh, wish to do some research, uh, do go visit my website, www.suchsweetthunder.org. I hope you found this beneficial, and if not beneficial, at least entertaining. Uh, have a great weekend. Stay safe, stay clean, stay healthy, and I'll see you on the other side of the weekend. Thank you.